0: To the area, Jacek, stamp through, chance, shot, goal! Full stop Unbelievable scenes in the Inverid Army!
1: Goal! Oh!
2: Goal.
1: oh. <laughs> I stuck! What a oh. goal! <laughs> Hello and welcome back to Scarves Around the Funnel, the podcast dedicated to Heart and Midlothian Football Club, now officially the biggest fan-owned club in the United Kingdom. Hi, I'm Laurie Dunsire, joined once again, uh, well, have got a few people to, to go through this week, but first off, of course, it's Mr. Mark Donaldson in NYC at the moment, I believe,
0: yeah, it, it was kind of flooded a couple of days ago, but it's dried up. I'm overlooking Arthur Ashe Stadium Court here before going on air in about an hour. So this is this has been a a big week over here, looking at everything that was happening in Gorgay and at Tyne Castle and the culmination of something that so many people have worked so hard about. And now you and I, and I, I assume many people listening, are part owners of the football club. So all the things that we've spoken about about tactics and everything like that. There's now going to be a Zoom call for every member of the Foundation of Hearts <laughs> prior to games to select the lineup. Um, and one of our guests today, I'm sure, will just disagree with whatever the manager wants to pick.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, we'll get to that guest. But I guess, first of all, uh, I was going to introduce him as the Sky Sports golf commentator, but that joke, <laughs> <always> is, do. <laughs> that joke has been done a bit too much. So let's just say... Uh, the biggest wind up merchant on Twitter, Ewan Murray.
3: Thank you very much. Good to chat to you again, guys. From the Solheim Cup. I'm in the media centre at the Solheim Cup in Toledo, Ohio. There you go.
1: And um, how many people have mistaken you for the other Ewan Murray so far today?
3: Uh, not yet, no, but that's, that's still to come, inevitably. Still
1: time. <laughs> this is Ewan Murray of The Guardian, of course, and, and Hearts fan as well, importantly. Um, another Hearts fan joining us, someone who's been heavily involved with uh, certain Hearts organisations in the past, namely Save Our Hearts. Uh, delighted to also be joined by Robbie Nielsen's number one fan, Ian McLeod.
4: Hi, Hi guys, how are you doing?
1: good, thank you. How are you, Ian?
4: I'm great. I, I have to say, I thought Saturday's performance was the most controlled away performance, so I'm quite happy to give Robbie some credit for that. Grudgingly,
0: grudgingly, or or kind of, yeah, because you kind of start, I kind of have to say that, I suppose (laughs) I better give some credit, but they did well, didn't they?
4: It was good. One swallow does not let someone make. Yeah, here we go, let's get them started.
1: And I'm also delighted to be joined this week by Robbie Nielsen making his (laughs) 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 That would be good, actually, that would be interesting. Yeah. Maybe next time, maybe next time. Uh, This week, we we will potentially squeeze in some chat about Dundee United against Hearts last weekend. Uh, I know everyone's on a tight schedule and big shot broadcasters over in the the States have to get to What is it you're covering? You're covering tennis, Ewan's covering golf, yeah? Yes, yes. Yeah, that's the one. But we'll try and focus a bit on what happened on Monday, the... Terrific news about Hearts obviously becoming fan-owned, but that has received plenty of worthy coverage, of course, in both mainstream and fan-driven media. So I think we're going to try and take it back a step and, uh, you know, do a a sort of Batman Begins thing, a bit of an origin story, a prequel, and look back to both the origins of Foundation of Hearts, but also further back and when Ian was heavily involved in Save Our Hearts. So we will get stuck into that. We'll have a chat with you and Ian and maybe give Mark some time as well over the course of the next 60 minutes or so. Right. To set the scene, so to speak, I have a, an audio recording very kindly provided to me by Ian. So let's have a listen back. Now, this is a, a snippet from an EGM of the hearts shareholders back in 2004 when Ian addressed uh, a passionate crowd, so to speak.
4: The of Supporters Trust in the Federation believes that the current Chief Executive should resign forthwith... Yeah. If the Chief Executive won't resign, I'm calling on the board members to make the decision for him. It's your duty to the shareholders of this club Brian Duffin, Stuart Fraser, (coughs) David Archer, (coughs) your names will go down in history as the men that stood there and done nothing while this cop was sold down the river. Ladies and gentlemen, finally, I ask you to pause for thought. Think about the past generations that have been here, the players that have played, the supporters that have stood in the terraces and sat in the stands. Think about the team that sacrificed their lives in the First World War because they believed they were doing the right thing. But more importantly, think about the future generations. Don't deprive our children and grandchildren who have been able to watch hearts in a packed stadium in Gorgate. Do the right thing and vote against the resolution for the disposal of the stadium. Do the right thing and save our hearts. Thank you.
1: Okay, so that was the voice of Ian McLeod and a few, I'd say, irate Hearts fans, and quite rightly so at that time during that EGM, during a very a tumultuous time at Tynecastle. Castle. And we've had plenty of those over the years, especially the last 15 or 20. So, Ian, no point in me trying to, to get into this. You're the one who was there and involved. Take us back, because we will get to present day and the foundation of Hearts, but take us back. 17 years, first of all, and before we set the scene for why you were there and why you were addressing the shareholders, I guess the state of the club at that point because a lot of us will remember, but a lot of us will have forgotten the specifics. And some of the younger fans maybe don't know about a lot of the details from back then.
4: So, we were 21 million pounds in debt, we were losing three million a year as a club, and the then chief executive Chris Robinson's solution to this was to sell the stadium to uh, accompany the City of La- Aberdeen Land Association, homes and move us to Murrayfield. Uh, we were, Save Hearts. Hearts, uh, were trying to stop that. <clears throat> that was an organisation that was um, an amalgam of the Federation of Hearts Supporters Club, led by jo- John Bothwick, and the Hartman Lothian Supporters Trust, led by Martin Laidlaw. So came together and and tried our best to stop uh, Robinson selling the stadium. Uh, I got involved with my good friend Gary McKay. He used to ring me daily to rant and rave about what Robinson had done that morning, what he was going to do, what state he was leaving the club in, etc. So my view was, (coughs) excuse me, we either sit back and do nothing or stand up and do something. So we got involved. Uh, both of us got involved to save our hearts at that time. So there was loads of things going on, protests to organise meetings to attend, etc., etc. But eventually um, we managed to oust the chairman, a guy called Doug Smith. He saw the size of the protest against the Murrayfield movement, where a march from Sockton to Castle was about five thousand in attendance if I remember. And he resigned. So he was, he was kind of the first domino to fall uh, from the board. And the next guy that was appointed was George Fox the Labour politician. So George, uh, we are we tried to get George on board with the Our Hearts campaign. Myself, John Borthwick and Gary McKay met him in his election agent's office one Sunday, laid out the aims of the campaign. There was only three of them, Number one, long-term survivability of the football club. Number two, removing the current CEO, as was then. And number three, staying at Town Castle if we could. So George gave us a fair hearing. But the next day, he was announced as chairman. So I remember getting a voicemail from Gary Mackay, which started, I've just spat my complex out, mm-hmm. because we've just laid the campaign plans in front of Jobs, and he's now the chairman of Heart of but after I thought about it for a while, I thought, "Well, we didn't have a relationship in the boardroom at the time. We didn't. We didn't know uh, Doug Smith. But we've now potentially got a relationship um, with George Fout. So I spoke to his election agent, Neil Gillum, and Neil kindly advised me that he had he had told George not to get involved with us at all because we had the potential to make his life absolute misery. But George, to his credit, replied." It's because of guys like that that i'm getting involved so George managed to get me to speak at the egm robinson had conditions on anybody speaking there was only going to be one speaker and um, we weren't able to represent same house because he didn't recognize the organization so that that's kind of the scene setting for uh the speech you can probably hear in my voice in this speech that i'm i'm pretty royal at that moment not only because what's happening at the football club, but um, I tried to get um, presentation facilities set up, and I was refused. So I offered to bring my own in laptop, projector, etc. And Robinson again said no. This is amazing because he was pitching Ten Castle at the time as a premier conference venue, but there was no presentation facilities um, being allocated to me. So I, I had to do it without. Any kind of slides or anything like that, and that kind of riled me. So that was um, that was the basis of the, of the speech uh, that, that you've heard there.
1: So, in terms of the situation at the time <clears throat> with the sale of Tyne Castle, obviously it's something that Hearts fans were 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 very much, very much against because it's our our spiritual home as a football club. But it was sold as the only real option, wasn't it? However, I think having, from previous conversations we've had, it wasn't as simple as that, that sell Tyne Castle right off the debt and all, all will be hunky-dory, was it? Because there was also the ongoing losses which weren't going to go away simply with selling Tyne Castle.
4: So at the time, bank, banks had started, stopped loaning to football clubs. <clears throat> we were losing 3 million per annum. We had 250,000 a year to pay to the Scottish Rugby Union if we moved to Murrayfield. We also had the ongoing costs of keeping Town Castle, if we sold it, safe until the developers moved in. So with no bank facilities, losing three million a year, I predicted crowds would actually drop uh, at at Murrayfield. The 70,000 stadium with 16,000 crowds in it. You can imagine a Tuesday night game against Iverness there. So within two years, my belief was we would be liquidated, and we pushed Robinson for a plan B, and it became evident that there was no plan B at all. One of the things that worked in our favour, it released a document called Ten Castle, not fit for purpose. Still got so it. this document, you've still got it, well, you, you, you'll see Mark, that in it. There's a, a series of wildly misleading claims. I'll give you an example. We have to move because the stadium is no longer safe due to control of substances, hazard to, to health, cosh, because of the ethanol t- tanks in the distillery. But here we are in 2021. We've, we've built a new stand. Tyne Castle School have moved just across the road. And the ethanol tanks are no longer an issue. So, that was one of the misleading claims that we, we thought to debunk. But another one was we have to move because the stadium is not UEFA compliant.
2: Hmm.
4: I, call, I called UEFA, I phoned Geneva, and the guy that answered, thankfully, was English speaking because my French is not that great. And he, he told me so that the, the Tank Castle pitch is 64 meters wide and it, it's not UEFA compliant per se. But he told me <clears throat> that if the, if the chief executive asked for an exemption, which he had the year before, it wouldn't be a problem. And there was also a statement there about media facilities not being uh, big enough or modern enough, but that only applied if you were staging UFR quarterfinals and above. So when these statements were down in print in this booklet, they were easy to take apart... And we went to the press, and we got a fair hearing. So I think everybody knew that what Robinson had put in that document wasn't the truth. He
3: was or hoping also- he
0: wasn't he was he wasn't going to be challenged. Sorry, you and he was hoping he wasn't going to be challenged. But I think we saw there was. Ewan, I know you were there, Ewan was there as well. There were a couple of EGMs and AGMs at Castle and the Gorgie suite where I believe there were supposedly only meant to be 300 there. There were at least double that. It was a health and safety issue. The fire brigade said if they'd known about it, they would have shut the place down because that was the strength of feeling about the whole place, Ewan.
3: Yeah, I mean, my uh, my role, if you want, was different back then. I mean, I I was a shareholder, still am, so I I attended all those meetings um, in that capacity. An an example of, of... what a good, George, a good job George Fuchs did was it? Was it? I don't think it was that meeting actually, a subsequent one where uh, George um, spoke up and, and, and thought that, that James Clydesdale, the architect of the other stands at Tynecastle, was in the room. And, and Jim Clydesdale stood up and explained why um, you know, remaining at the ground, or rebuilding a new main stand, whatever else was actually perfectly feasible. And George did that right in front of Chris Robinson and embarrassed him hugely. And, and it was an example of George working... Um, politically, if you like, and successfully for the greater good of the club. Funnily enough, I, I, I disagree with a lot of people in the sense that I was, you know, I love Tynecastle, Castle, but I, I was never of the view that Hearts absolutely had to stay at Tynecastle. Castle. If there was an option for a stadium on the west side of the city that was Hearts' own stadium that perfectly suited the club's needs and was going to help the club, I, I would kind of support that. But the Murrayfield plan was, was disastrous. And as Ian said, you know, so many of us realised at the time that, that the club would have, I firmly believe, um, you know, died a, a slow and painful death if that plan had been followed through. And it had to be stopped. And, and George did a great job in, in, you know, making sure that happened. And also, to be fair, it's only fair to recognise um, Stuart Bathgate, the Scotsman at the time, he was hugely supportive of the Save Our Hearts guys, hugely against Robinson's plan. And, and that was important in terms of getting serious, you know, mainstream media support for, for what the guys were trying to do.
0: Ian, were you part of, of um, any any group that Robinson was, was trying to, not kowtow to, but as a journalist back then at Radio 4th, I got a call from Irene, his, his secretary, and said, look, Mr. Robinson, we'd like you to come along to Murrayfield. We've got a trial game against Dundee just to see how things work. I don't remember who else was there. I don't know if there were any supporters, represent, uh, representatives that he was trying to appease and say, look, this is what could be done. Because he went around each of us and and there weren't many there and said, "Okay, we're going to shut down the whole of the top tier and we're going to get this maroon tarp and we're going to enclose it so it's going to be a 30,000 stadium. This was his idea. And the the game was played behind closed doors, obviously, but I'm not sure how much more of an atmosphere there would be if you didn't get 30,000 in a game, if you only got ten or 12,000. Because there was a lot of dissenting voices, understandably so, at that time. But he just... He lived in his bubble, Chris Robinson, and it was very difficult to get him out of it. And he just thought whatever he said would be believed by all, and that's why there's many people who held him accountable. I think that's one of the reasons why we are where we are now, because of people like Ian and Ewan and everyone else who got involved, and all the guys at the foundation. It really has been a team effort to get to where we are.
3: Well, people did. I mean, you know, it's probably unfair to name names, but there were people, including high-profile people, who supported what he was trying to do. Of course, yeah. I mean, some of them heart supporters, some of them not. But absolutely, these people existed, as I say,
4: as he probably the probably un-
3: probably unfair to name them, but definitely they existed.
4: I've got a problem naming them. Uh, at, at one point, we were we were going to we were going to stand political candidates against them in the Edinburgh councils. It never it never came to that. We would have lost, but the publicity would have been hilarious. <coughs> um, the, actually, it, it was that meeting you and the Jim Cleasdale. Uh, the same yeah. with yeah. George. George yeah. George was fantastic working yeah. from within the boardroom with Save Our Hearts. And you're quite right to mention Stuart Bathgate, but also I'd like at this point to mention Donald Ford. Mm. Uh, Donald mm-hmm. Ford used to write uh, letters to the Scotsman and when the boys in Save Our Hearts when our spirits were flagging, Donald would time his letters perfectly and uh gear up a bit. So yeah, there's loads of people that were that, that, that were backing us for sure.
1: So fast forward six years from from that from that EGM, and back then, and uh, there's a group of local business people who who create Foundation of Hearts. Jamie Bryant, Brian Cormack, Donald Ford, Gary Halliday, and Alex Mackey. Um, three years after that, the foundation was joined by all the other Hearts supporters organisations, including Save Our Hearts, um, under the chairmanship of Ian Murray. And that's when they all, I guess, began working together with the the, the the vision of fan ownership, which was kind of public and everyone was then heavily involved in. Ian, talk us through from, from the point of 2004 up until 2010 and then up to 2013, what what, what was happening behind the scenes? Because obviously uh, Vladimir Romanov came in and you know, saved hearts and kept him at Tyne Castle at the time. Was it a case that all these thoughts of saver Hearts were forgotten and put to one side? Or was that still kind of bubbling away in the background that these, this group of supporters and people already had in mind that they might be called upon again?
4: Okay. It's a good point, actually, because, George, we, um, that night I spoke at the EGM, there was a show of hands in the hall. There's a 1,000 shareholders. We unanimously won the vote. To vote against the disposal of the stadium. But unfortunately, Robinson and other board members had blocked votes, so we were always going to lose the actual vote. But we won the vote on the night. Uh, George insisted on a three month moratorium uh, after that meeting, and in that three month, Vladimir Rorov came in. And two cup wins later, uh, he gets caught up in the, in the world financial banking crisis, and he's now I understand being being charged in Lithuania yeah. with some kind of bank, banking fraud. So Save Our Hearts then changed from a protest movement into an influencing group because you know we, we, we can't protest against guys uh, that are based in Kaunas. It's uh, it's impractical. So we kind of changed from being a protest movement into an influencing group, and uh, that's when we, we we met with the founding of Hearts. Uh, at that particular time, Vladimir Romanov was trying to sell the club. He had, he had wild valuations, depending on <laughs> I think the, the, the top number I heard was 70 million. <laughs> but um, Gary Mackay had been speaking to the late Sandy Jardin. Rangers were going through turmoil at the time as well. And, and um, Sandy Jardin had suggested to Gary that you should set up a fighting fund. So Gary uh, and a few other uh, like-minded people with trustees set up the 1874 Fighting Fund. So af- after he marked service one day, Remembrance Day, myself and a guy, my good friend Dougie Masterton, representing Save Our Hearts, went to, to see uh, David Sutherland, uh, Sergius and Vitalius from the Romanov Empire in the Governor Hotel at Haymarket after that, and we were going to pitch that we could, we could offer the 1874 Fighting Fund money to them for things like repairing the windows, broken windows in the, in the old stand, uh, repainting the exit gangways, things like that, just practical things that needed to be paid for. I remember mean, we were, we're given a good hearing a, until we insisted on uh, receipts being presented for before any money was released. And then all of a sudden... All of a sudden, the conversation just changed completely. Uh, Vitalia says that's never going to happen. So we were quite pragmatic about it and said, well, in that case, you're not getting the money. Um, when, I, when I was leaving, we bumped into Alex Mackey and Brian Cormack, and they were coming in. I think at that particular point, they were going to try and pay the tax bill. I think it was something like 425000 outstanding. To the, to the revenue. And I think the foundation's uh, offer at that particular time was to pay the tax bill and keep the wolf from the door at that particular time. So myself and Dougie had a good chat and a few beers with Brian and Alex. And we, we'd been over the course before we Save our hearts, so we kind of gave them our uh, expertise, if you like, for want of a better word, in, in how to deal with this. And they, they, they showed us what the what the plans were for the foundation but as you rightly say there were other fans group involved there were also other potential solutions but myself and duty decided to find out what the best way forward was we were going to speak to all these groups so we spoke to paul goodwin supporters direct we spoke to david southern at the club uh, i worked in london a lot at the time George Stokes invited me along to the house of logs for dinner one night He introduced me to a young MP called Ian Murray. Uh, But they were pushing something called the Maroon Solution at the time. And George wanted me to to go big on social media about this. But this was a seven-year plan to buy 51%. And in the seven years, the partner was going to be Vladimir Romanov. And that that, that just was never going to happen. Uh, So when I spoke to Brian and Alex, you know, Save Our Hearts got right behind the foundation, mainly because there was a potential source of income in Ann Budge. It wasn't definite at that time, but there was a potential source of income to buy the club. And the rest of the uh, competing uh, propositions didn't have that. So I think that was one of the, the things that swayed us. Apart, apart from you know the passion, uh, guys like Gary Halliday, Brian Cormack, Jamie Bryant, Donald Ford, Alex Mackey, uh, they, they just they just sold the dream to us and we got right behind it. And uh, I remember going to a meeting in the executive club at Time Castle, all the fans group, uh, Lawrence Brodie in the chair, and Lawrence was suggesting chairmans, and uh, Ian Murray's name came up and I thought that was a bit coincidental because I'd never heard of him. But two weeks before that, I was having dinner with him. And... Um, I could tell over the dinner that, you know, Ian Murray was as suspicious of me as I was him. <laughs> so, here we are again, two weeks later, Ian Murray's name's come up. Um, that particular meeting, the, the fans groups were arguing over a name of an umbrella organisation for want of a better word. And, uh, one of the guys suggested United Fans Organisation. UFO. <laughs> and that was never going to, that was never going to fly. So, Ian Murray came in and it must have been to him like herding cats because every fan group had their own ideas, had their own uh, flavour of what they wanted. Uh, so, I have to give Ian credit for, for pulling them together. And
1: Did he have a gavel? We <laughs> Order! <laughs> uh,
4: but it was kind of along these lines without the gavel. But eventually, we all got our act together and realised that if we didn't work together, I'm looking at Newcastle United at the minute, uh, and they're trying to do something similar to get rid of Ashley. Mm -hmm. But at the minute, all the Newcastle United fans groups are disparate and arguing against each other. And that's where we were. And it ain't going to happen until they pull together. Now, obviously, that club's on a different size and scale to what we're talking about. But I I can see right away that the fan groups are not even pulling in the same direction there. So they are, they're a bit further down the road than we are. Mm-hmm. But when we when we got our act together, we then started taking pledges in the foundation. Um, not actual money, but just pledges. Now, obviously, lo- loads of Hibs fans thought they were being clever and uh, pledging money that was never going to appear, but most of them had 1875 in their email address. So they weren't too, <laughs> weren't too hard to weed out. And then we went on road shows. Uh, we spoke in Jedburgh, we spoke in Inverness, Pullman. We had a launch event in the Gordon Street that the media were invited to, and uh, I sat on a marketing committee in the foundation. Lawrence Brody, Gary McKay, Gary Halliday, Dougie Master, and myself and Alistair Bruce, and it was that group that came up with the, the you know, pledge pledge a pint of beer, a week that adds up to 10 in a month. It, it'd be two pints of beer a month now, with the, the prices increasing. One in some
1: places in Edinburgh.
4: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so at that, that time, it was give up a pint of beer a week for your club. And we also came up with this membership uh, level scheme for the Maroon points, 56 club, 98 club, etc., etc., culminating in the uh, 1874 club at the top level. Uh, lots of people will tell you that they don't pledge. They're not really interested in maroon points, things like that. But having done the membership accounts for about three years, I can tell you, if you miss any our points, they're soon on here. And the pl- plot ceremonies, you know, Gary Halliday does a great job there. And it's unbelievable the work. Him and his family, not just Gary, but his mother, his wife, his daughter. They all do a tremendous amount of work. And, and at this point, you know, I, I'd like to recognise... You know, all the save our hearts wives, including my long-suffering wife Janice, what they put up with from 2004 onwards with our for attending meetings, arranging protests, never off the phone. You know how we all came through that with our marriages intact is uh, is beyond me, but we did.
1: Sounds like a different support group now. the save our wives.
4: Yeah, <laughs> 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 that's <There's> your headline.
1: You <laughs> um, and obviously it's been. It's been a long road for for the likes of ian who've, who've been involved in a lot of these things behind the scenes but as a fan and and as a journalist as well i mean 2013 eight years ago would did you think that we could get to the point that we are now at in 2021 where the club has effectively been handed over to the fans for that kind of full ownership um
3: i was hopeful i mean again my, my story there is a bit different i was aware 2011, 2012, I was aware through the grapevine and, you know, um, personal interest and professional interest that Foundation of Hearts guys were, were working on something. I got in touch with Brian Cormack um, and said, "Look, can I come out of a chat to you about what you're doing? Um, I went to Melville Street, to, to Brian's office. I sat down with Brian and Alex Mackey um, and they talked me through... What they were trying to do at that point, as Ian says, they were trying to buy the club or wrestle the club from, from Vladimir Romanov. And that was difficult because of... Well, the reasons he had explained as to why that was difficult. And I, I worried about that. How, how are you going to raise the money to buy this club that has been wildly overvalued and it's in a, a bad financial state anyway? But immediately, I, I bought completely into what, what these guys were doing, Brian and Alex, and they were so... It was clearly altruistic. Um, they clearly had the best interest of the club at heart. Alex Mackey had spoken quite strongly against um, the Lithuanian regime at various AGMs, and I knew he had concerns going back a while and I fully bought into what they were doing. My concern was, how are we going to raise this pot of money to, to, to get the shares in the club? So it was different to, to what obviously transpired in terms of you know, uh, removing the club from administration and on budget's involvement. And um, I said to them, look, anything I can do to help you, I will help you on a professional basis because on a personal level, I believe in what you're doing and I hope it works. And I got a very nice note from, from Brian Cormack on Tuesday of this week saying... You know, you I just want to say thanks for all your help. Right at the start, you were behind us. It was important to us that we had the kind of foot soldiers on board and, and you helped with that. And, and, and that was really a nice thing for Brian to do because I I, I and, and every supporter of the club owes a huge debt of gratitude to Brian, to Alex, to Jamie, to Donald, to Gary um, and to Budge of course, for what they did. I'm grateful to them. And I was in a kind of, you know, um, strange position of professionally being able to help them. I, I wrote an article very early on about what they're trying to do and personally wanting it to succeed for for my football club. And and I'm delighted for them. And, you know, as I'm sure everyone now acknowledges, these guys for what they did, for no money, for nothing, only for the good of the club, are due so much much thanks from from those of us who who go to support them.
1: 30th of August 2021, the day that Hart and Midlothian officially became fan-owned and for now at least the biggest fan owned football club in the UK foundation of hearts backed by over 8,000 members and um, formally received the club shares at a ceremony on Monday taking control effectively I say taking control, taking control in some ways from chairwoman Anne budge, but Anne of course does plan to stay at the helm for at least two years. And we won't be um, having votes on team selection. I'm afraid to tell you, Ian, I know you'd love that. Um, but budge, did reiterate that change of ownership wouldn't lead to that side of things and on a day-to-day basis not many things will change but um, the things that she highlighted the four issues the fans will always have a say on we can't sell the shares this is Anne Budge's words we can't move from Tyncastle, Castle we can't change the club colours and we can't change the name without permission of the supporters the whole idea is to protect the club from things going badly wrong in the future Mark how important is this side of things because yeah you, you we've seen in the past i, mean, I remember i think absolutely united tried the ridiculous approach of actually allowing decisions on team and transfers mm-hmm. etc to be controlled by fans on votes and it's just a ridiculous way to do it that's you can't run a football club that way but that is very key isn't it that yes that word control is still there it's not control that you decide when robin nielsen gets sacked or not again ian sorry it's not going to happen yeah. yet, anyway. But there is control over the identity and the and the future of the club.
0: We've been speaking a lot in this podcast about transparency or certainly lack of during the Robinson years and clarity and everything like that. But one thing that the Foundation of Hearts has done among many things, and one thing Ann Budge has done among many things, right from the start, they've made it clear this will be fan-owned, but it won't be fan-run. So people know what they're getting into. It's not a case of just showing up we're all proud that we all have a small part of the football club, but it isn't an ex-fleet. And really interesting listening to, to Ian earlier talking about Newcastle. I saw their supporters association putting something out this week, um, just saying congratulations to Hearts, and it's something that, albeit they're not down that road anywhere near as far, they hope to, to kind of use Hearts as an advantage. But as Ian was saying, the problem that we've seen with Newcastle, is, as Ian discussed, there's a lot of different factions there and they can't all agree. I think it's it's been so impressive how eventually they might have a difference of opinions about the manager or the playing staff or anything like that but the key thing for me is that we seem to have everybody on board and everybody's in the same direction it's fan owned but it's not exactly fan
3: run. You know where Mark, this this is interesting because there will be a point and this will be interesting if not concerning there will be a point where things are going badly on the pitch, it's going to happen at some stage. Yep. And, and and what the club has to be very, very careful of, and it's done well so far in this regard, in fact, maybe it's gone too far the other way, but they have to be careful that, that, that any kind of um, strong protests or mass protests, now on the basis that the foundation of the majority of shareholders and the club has to do what the fans want, they have to be careful there. There's going to be an acid test at some point down the line as to how the management of the club reacts to that. I hope it's not soon, yeah. but inevitably, inevitably it's going to happen. That's just football. And and that'll be be interesting. And I don't want, by the way, Mark, I don't, sorry, I I, I don't want to say in in, in the team or the day-to-day run of the club, it doesn't interest me. I trust the management of the club, rightly or wrongly. But but some people don't think that way. And I know from speaking to Anne Budge, she would receive letters on a weekly basis. I demand to know how much X is getting paid Uh because I'm a member of this, that and the other. And, you know, therein lies madness. The club can't be run like that. But there will be a pinch point at some point in the future but it's going to be interesting to see how the club reacts to, you know, protests of any form against what's happening on the pitch.
0: Well, I, I said last week and the week before, Laurie, on on this podcast, I think it was after the the Celtic game where we all agreed the first half was inexcusable. Um, but we were we we're, we're kind of even although we've started the season well, we're still one bad performance um, and and one disappointing result. Whether it's an end but a derby defeat, God hope that isn't the case. Um, but there's there's going to come a time where. The, the, the Nielsen out, Budge over Nielsen out crew are, are back and and are vocal again. So it's how we deal with that going forward. Because as I've said on the podcast, you know, and if you listen, no issue whatsoever with, with people's opinions. Some people are going to give some people at the club longer because <clears throat> of favoritism and some people aren't. But the acid test is, is going to come when the shit hits the fan, when people say this, this isn't good enough. Because what I hate reading is people on social media saying, I'm, I'm, that's it, I'm done with my pledges, I'm removing my pledges, but that brings yeah. me to the other point, boys, and, and I think I think it, it, it's important because Hearts fans anger we're all angry if we lose or we don't see a performance, but we are aware of the Hearts fans anger through the channels that we deal with whether it's in the pub, but mainly social media, so it depends on which message board whether it's Jambos Kickback or any Facebook sites, but what percentage of the Hearts support is that that we're dealing with here? And do we have to be careful that the heart support think that? Well, what percentage of the heart support is it that think that if it's just the social media that we read? Because that's where we get our information from after we get our information from the football club.
4: Well, that's that's difficult, but I I could tell you that the ones that count percentage-wise are the ones in the stadium, because then that's the heart support. on, on kickback or on social media people might not necessarily be Hearts fans that are saying these things but in the stadium if you've got for instance the Dunfermline game that led to the sack of uh, Ian Cattle, that was 100% Hearts fans uh, I, by the way Laurie I'm not uh, I understand how fan ownership works I've championed it for the last 7-8 years
1: I know I'm winding so you I, I,
4: I'm not looking for a, I'm not looking for an fleet. But let me tell you what I'm looking for. When Hartham and Lothian get knocked to a trophy by Alloa and then get knocked to a trophy, the Scottish Cup wanted realistically only two trophies that we can win. When we get knocked to by an Al- a- broader side from the Highland League that could only start training uh, three weeks before the played us, that's unacceptable. And I, they, even the club said it was unacceptable. But in my mind, they kind of accepted it. By not changing the manager, so let me tell you what I'm looking for for the Foundation of Hearts in that instance. I'm not looking for me to write to Anne Budge to say change the manager, but what I am looking for is the organisation that sits on the club board with two representations uh, from the FOH to communicate with the fans and tell them tell them what their thoughts are. I'm not I'm not looking for privy information from a board meeting. But what effectively happened there is radio silence. And that is not good enough from an 8,000-strong membership. They need to be representing the membership. Now, I I know uh, after events like that, the email traffic that the foundation gets rockets. (laughs) And for for everybody that cancels, say you get 20 20 people cancelling after a bad result against Hibbs. The next morning, 10 of them will rejoin after regretting it. So that's why the membership never really varies between seven and a half, eight thousand. 8,000. You know, if you add up the amount of bad results we've had over the piece, everybody would have chucked it by now. It's never going to happen. This is, this is a good, uh, stable source of income from us, but I do think the board members on the club board need to communicate a wee bit better going forward. Now that the majority shareholder and let the membership know their thoughts on the matter, rather than radio silence.
3: It's a different different position, isn't it? They're now in a different position is basically the the point. Well, I would say, that that was actually, the the point about the numbers is important because I I worried, you know, obviously the numbers were great and the club was in trouble and we had to save the club and blah, blah, blah. I worried those numbers would drop off when things became more stable. And it's 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 to everyone's immense credit that really hasn't happened. That, that, that's a real tribute to the people involved. Uh, uh, there was always two types of pledger.
4: There, there was the pledge for life, guys. And there was a pledge until the club saved, guys. So people were saying, when the club is officially safe, as in when the share transfer happens, I will no longer pledge, as is the right. But what seems to have happened, uh, there's been a couple of hundred additional pledgers mm. since uh, the, the share handover day. So, yep. I don't know if people have, people have changed their mind, but you're always going to get flux anyway. People, financial circumstances change, they lose their job, people pass away, unfortunately, other, other pledges come in. But I think, you know, over, over the seven years, the, the 8,000 figure has been pretty constant, and that is absolute testament to all the hard work that the foundation do. It's, it's a lot easier. When there's a feel good factor about the club, more people pledge. Just a fact mm-hmm. of life. Sure,
0: I've got, I've got a quick question for you. Now, we're trying to be positive where, wherever possible in this podcast. So I want to I want to ask you about best case scenarios. So say we stick with that 7,500, 8,000 going forward. We maybe add to it as well, or people increase their pledge. So that's guaranteed money. With James Anderson as well, the club seems to be in a decent financial footing. Um, listening to Ann Budge last Monday, what would be best case scenario in a kind of five year plan? Because we don't want to be in a position whereby when we go back like... to... <laughs> oh, <laughs>
1: We've sorry, already done wrong that, year, remember Romanov Ob- yeah, Roman said,
0: said we did that. But we don't <laughs> want to go back to where we have a hundred and whatever percent ratio of, of wages to turnover. But the best case scenario, do you think, could we be in, in this kind of behind the two big Glasgow clubs, but ahead of a decent amount ahead of... Uh, the way the club is run, of, of Aberdeen, Hibs uh, and the rest, do you think that's the kind of target if everything goes well over the next five years or so?
3: Absolutely. Well, I think, that's where they should aim to be, 100%.
4: Correct. So, just on that, I, I'm a super optimist and I've, I've, I I've believe that we've been able to stay at Tyne Castle since since I got involved with with, with Hearts in, in 2004. But one of the things that used to keep me awake at night was what we're going to do with the old main stand? If we do get the club off from us, what we're going to do about that stand? And because of the the money that the fans have pumped in, that has now been taken off the agenda. And we've actually rebuilt the main stand, we've put in a memorial garden, we've built a museum there. We're we're not going anywhere for the foreseeable future. So I think that money that you talk about has already uh, done some great work. Also, during COVID, no other club has had the additional 1.5 million per annum coming in that we've put in. So that that has to have helped. But going forward, absolutely, we need to be able to. Um, I, I see Aberdeen throwing down a marker, um, saying that they want to increase their wage bill and it's pull away million, from, yeah. yeah, pull away from Hearts and Hibs. Uh, Etc. So Romanoff had the uh, t- wage wage to turnover ratio or turnover to wage ratio at 121%. Uh, right. I think we've, we've capped this at 60%, which is sensible. So I, I think going forward, in five years' time, the football club, as long as the football club's competitive, we're in a great position uh, off the field. I mean, and Budge. Has some has had some criticism uh, from the football side of things, and some of it deserved. But I think uh, off the field, we are in a, a pretty sustainable position now. And uh, with with the new recruitment team coming in, at, at first glance, it looks as if they're on the right track. So I, I think you know it can only get better with the additional money coming in. Uh, Anne's going to be there for another two years. Um, we're top of the league at the minute. We've got a Derby coming up. We can go solo top if we win that one. So I think things are looking pretty positive. Uh, when I look back to 2004 and look forward five years, uh, I think I would have snapped your hand off for that.
3: Mm, also, Ian, uh, uh, Aberdeen, Aberdeen a, a not insignificant point is Aberdeen have got a stadium issue to deal with imminently. Whether they're going to build yep. one at the ground or whatever, they're going to build it, Aberdeen are going to go through a little bit of what Hearts are going through, and that's going to cost them a lot of money. So, uh, so when uh, you bring, absolutely, fa- when you factor that in, I, I don't know enough about what Ron Gordon's doing at Hibs, but but Hearts given their existing infrastructure and the main stand was actually starting to generate quite a lot of money before COVID. Uh, given yeah. that, they, they should absolutely be looking to wrap the turnover up to fifteen million at least, and then you know you can do the maths with the wage bill. So 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 hundred percent, they should be looking to separate I'll, themselves. Also but,
4: think- It seems to be the owner that's putting money in in Aberdeen. And my experience of that is eventually, if silverware doesn't come their way, owners get bored putting money in.
1: Yeah, I mentioned this to a few Aberdeen supporting friends of mine. I said, are you relying on Cormac and some big backers to underwrite this? Because if you go to £50 as things stand, that's just, what, about 100% of turnover, maybe more? Um, it's hard. I know it's hard to tell because of COVID but Aberdeen certainly weren't getting more than 15 million turnover
3: pre-COVID no, no way it's, it's interesting here's another thing that's interesting They the, the talk about the disposal of shares and that, that, that requires a super majority of foundation members at 90% to, to sell the shares there may it's not completely ridiculous to think there may be a point in the future whenever that is that someone who does have good intentions someone with loads of money wants to come in and take over hearts and it's clearly you know hasn't happened before, but maybe it's clearly in the best interest of the club and clearly a good deal. That, then it becomes really interesting. I actually think the 90% supermajority on that is too high and I think it should be changed, but it's a separate conversation. But but it's not impossible that someone comes in and wants to take over the majority shareholding of the club. And what the foundation of what we as members do at that point is it, it, fascinating, whenever that happens. Yeah, it is. But,
4: I mean, given the past behaviour of some of our owners <laughs> and... The current situation where we're actually the majority shareholder, why would we want to go back to that model? But if we do, if we do want to go back to it, we've got a democratic model that allows us to go back to it. If that's what people vote for, that's what will happen. But I can't really see why we would want to Go back to that. I mean... Well, the not, in the short,
3: not, 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 not in no. the short term. But, but, but say, and I don't want to sound xenophobic, say that, say there's a heart supporter, and I'm genuinely not speaking to anyone I know, that's not what I mean. Say there's a heart supporter, well-known, who's made loads of money in America or something like that, and he moves home, he or she moves home, they've got stacks of money, pots of money, and, and want to buy the club and want to take the club. I mean, that will be very appealing to a lot of people, should that discussion well, arise. And, and then it'll be really interesting. That's all I mean. It might, it might be, but if, if you change... Uh,
4: um, america to lithuania or edinburgh we, we've we've been there we've done that and it, it's not led to great times so i think there'll be a reluctance to go back to that but as i said before it would, it would have the, to be the, it, it,
3: would, it would have to be a great it would have to be a great deal and it can't happen it certainly can't happen in the short term because we have to stick with this model which is working and it's great but i just mean at some point in the whenever distant right. future it could it could be a point for discussion But
4: there is a democratic model in place to allow that, if that's what everybody
3: votes
1: for. On that point, I mean, Mark, you cover cover the German football again this Mm -hmm. season, and and, and over there there's the 50 plus 1 rule, isn't there? So there there can be larger companies or individuals who have significant interests in Bundesliga clubs, but 51% at least always has to be retained by the club itself, doesn't it?
0: It does, yeah. The, the rule that was that was kind of introduced. Um, it, it's kind of it's a clause in the actual league um, rules and regs. Um, so basically, in order to get a license to compete in the Bundesliga, a club must hold a, a majority of its own voting rights. It's a different way of doing it. I think it's very difficult. We we have a lot of good things in Scottish football. We have a lot of bad things in Scottish football. We've you just been speaking about that ninety percent. Um, kind of vote. You've got the eleven-one vote that happens in, in Scottish football, which makes change very difficult. So uh,
1: Aberdeen's think, fault. Oh, well, yeah, it was.
0: Yeah, it was. So I mean, we there's a lot of, of factions to this. Hearts right now is is in a good place, both on the pitch and off the pitch. But Scottish football still. I mean scottish football rights are flung about over here we, we've just lost them espn we had no interest in getting them back because what we wanted was exclusivity of celtic and rangers games so that celtic tv and rangers tv couldn't show them and only espn plus could basically celtic and rangers said up yours because money was going to their club so it was it was basically passed on to somebody else who bought them for about 20 bucks so it's not marketed well outside the country, but it's not marketed well inside the country. So to get changed it's going to be practically impossible. So I think we, we, we make sure our own house is in order right now, but we still have to be sure that, I mean, I saw someone on a, on a, a Facebook, that one of the, the Yahoo's that I call them was like, what are we doing playing Dundee in a closed door friendly? Do we not remember what, what they did to us? For fuck's sake, honestly, just gives peace. Thankfully, there's
4: more sensible ones out there than Yahoo's. Don't get your news from Facebook, Mark. would be mad I don't. I don't. I, I, yeah, stop.
0: That's on
1: me. That's on me. So, Ian, last thing on the, on obviously the the foundation, for now anyway, and the momentous occasion on Monday. How did it feel? Because, you know, you're a fan. Uh, you've not been, you know, you're not one of the ones who are directly involved what happened on Monday, but you've played a big part in the past. How did that feel to get to that point? Was it was it quite it was quite an emotional thing for a lot of fans, and it was some terrific Absolutely. terrific content that came out from the club as well. I thought on Monday, how did it feel? Did that feel like years of of work from 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 you, from others, and from from everyone, every fan who's contributed or done their bit? Did that feel like a real turning point? I know I noticed some news outlets calling it the biggest day in Hart's almost 150 year history. Is would that be accurate?
4: Well, I don't know about the biggest day, but it's certainly significant. Uh, for, for me, personally, it, w- it was the end of an era, but also the beginning of a new era. And all the people that, that worked along the way uh, to, to secure the future of the football club, from right from Save Our Hearts, through at the foundation, um, it, it's, it's been a justification. People say we can't stay at Time Castle, we can't do this, we can't do that. Here we are. You know, it's taken over 20 years in various shapes and forms. But yeah, Monday was really uh, an emotional day. I-, I pulled myself a large drama of at the end of the evening. Mm-hmm. It was yeah, it was something else because it finally, it finally happened. And it, really it was coming, but when it comes, it's uh, yeah, it really hit home. I'm delighted for guys people. like uh, like Gary and uh, and. Alec and Brian, everybody else that's been involved in the foundation—they worked so hard for no remuneration whatsoever. Um, it was a hard sell at first, you know. Give us your money, give give five strangers your money, and we'll run your football club for you. That that was a that was a difficult one to influence, but we got there in the
3: end. Also, yeah, it's fair to say there's been incredible friendships formed out of this. Right back to Sever Heart stuff. I mean, you're, you're yeah. great friends with people you didn't know. I've become great friends with people I didn't know. Kind of through this journey, you know?
4: It's, it's it's, uh, you, 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 Ewan makes a good point. I used to run strategy sessions for Sabre Hearts in the Orwell Lodge. And one night there's a fresh faced young lad sitting in the corner. I said to my mate, <laughs> who's, who's, who's that? <laughs> oh, he's, uh, he's a journalist. I said, Well, get him to fuck out of here then. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, was, it was young Ewan Murray. And it, somebody think... says to me, All right, he's one of us. And you know what? He is,
3: and he was. I think I was, uh, it was quite funny, back in those days, I was doing a bit of freelance stuff and doing bits and bobs kind of training, but I used to, I had, I had means to get him from to Stuart Bathgate, that was my kind of role at that point, which proved mutually beneficial back in those times, but I remember that well. And, yeah. and, and initial show an immediate suspicion, and now, now these are guys that I would have umpteen drinks with after, after games at Tidecastle. It's amazing how, you know, life throws up things like that.
1: Okay, moving on. Moving on. Moving on to the weekend just past. Saturday afternoon. Hearts finally playing Dundee United in a league game. Doesn't seem to happen very often these days. Five and a half years, I think, since they last met in a league match. A uh, game at Tannadice, And Hearts looking to maintain their unbeaten start to the season and stay joint top, at the very least, of the Scottish Premiership. Let's have a quick listen back to... The big talking points from that game now. There's Halliday left hand side, thinks it forward, looking for Mackay Stephen, battling with Edwards, gets a little break of the ball, then goes down Mackay Stephen penalty kick. Really untidy from Ryan Edwards. Got harried there by Gary Mackay Stephen, and after
2: the ball broke back to the former United man looked very clumsy You can't. Ha- you just can't have too many complaints, I know the, the United players are trying to talk to the referee there But you can't, you know, Gary McKay-Steven, he's, he's done well, he's hassled him, harried him, won the ball And as soon as he's won the ball and he's going through on goal, Edwards takes him out, it's, it's, it is a penalty I can see why United fans would be angry, especially McKay-Steven, but it's, it's a penalty and uh, Liam Boyce stepping up to take it here
1: Two from two from the spot so far this season for Liam Boyce Can he make it three from three? Saved by the goalkeeper, back to Boyce and he scores the rebound! And a shush towards the United fans, behind the goal. Hearts have the lead, Liam Boyce's penalty saved by Trevor Carson, but back to the Northern Irishman who scores goal number seven of the season, just rolling into the gaping net,
2: Dundee United nil. Hearts in one. 1 ah, It doesn't matter how they go in does it? <laughs> Liam Boyce, not the best penalty It's actually a nice save from Trevor Carson and goals there but the ball comes back to him and he just rolls it you can see as soon as that ball is coming back to him he's got the composure, he knows he's got the time rolls it into the back of the net but you know what, this is no less than Hearts deserve they absolutely deserve to be ahead in this game they've been the better team and uh, it's a deserved lead right on the stroke of half time great time to score as well sold himself a wee bit as well he'd, he'd, he'd launched out and, and missed his tackle Nondby, absolutely brilliant that's what you love to see from your strikers as well especially in this part of the game Doing everything they can to ease the pressure. The heart song rings out from the way end. More than 2,000 hearts fans here trying to
1: urge their favourites over the finish line. We're into the final 30 seconds of regulation time. Michael Smith battling on the right. What's a lovely touch by Ginelli driving in the box now? Ginelli back to Nongduye, chance to seal it short. And it's in! And the three points are heading back to the capital. Armand Nongduye with his first of the season after a lovely bit of play by Josh Gianelli and in front of the jubilant jambos behind Trevor Carson's goal it just squeezes into the bottom corner it's going to be a big victory for Hearts Dungeons United 0, Heart of Midlothian
2: 2 Some lovely limbs behind the goal there and Josh Gianelli absolutely superb, so unselfish we saw a couple of minutes ago he came in, tried a shot on that occasion, he's taken his time, he's looked up He's seen his pal Nanduye and Nanduye has rolled it into the bottom corner. Slight touch on it from Trevor Carson but it's not enough, it's a nice finish. I tell you what, it's a well-deserved win for Hearts now.
1: Sixth goal for Hearts for Armand Nanduye, first of the campaign and the Hearts end is bouncing now behind Trevor Carson's goal. Dundee United nil, heart Hearts to Midlothian 2. A big win for Hearts, keeps him neck and neck in the title race with City rivals Hibernian with Rangers and Celtic fighting it out for that Europa Conference League places. Uh, Ewan, first, I'll come to you first of all, because uh, what was it like because I was up in the press gantry at Tanadice, great view of the Hearts fans packed into the shed and I think it was wonderful, before we even look at the football, the performance and the result, but to have a proper away day like that, it's been quite a while.
3: Yeah, it was a great day out. I mean, that's I don't know, what have been, 19 months since I've watched Hearts and I um, an away game like that—it was a great day out. Of course, the result helps, but um, you know, see a lot of people you haven't seen for a while. There was a big heart support there, as you said. I was in the—I was in the main stand neither are you. I wasn't behind the goal, you know. And there was nine thousand odd at the game. It, it was a good occasion. Yeah, it was—it was a very good day all round. I and mean, we stayed in Dundee for a while after the game, and a good fun. And yeah, it was uh, long overdue, but a, but a, an all-round terrific day out.
1: And in terms of the the football itself, I think first half. You mentioned Ian one of the the most controlled away performances you've seen from Hearts in a while. I think that was refreshing to see.
4: Yeah, so the start of the season, for me, the, the win over Celtic was great. My biggest fear was away performances because, that's my be about the boost, we've been shocking away from home for yep. many, many months, pre-Robbie Neilson. 15, 15 years. Yeah, probably. <laughs> 29 probably. But, so the, the proof <laughs> of the pudding was a, a, a good result against St. Mirren, but I was looking at the Dundee United, bearing in mind they had a good result against Rangers. But I have to say, that was the most controlled performance, the first half. Uh, 62% possession it has. Not that possession means much, but if Peter Haran had scored that header, I think mm-hmm. we would have strolled that game. As it turns out, one nothing's is always... A, a dodgy result and I think Robbie's got the tendency to sit on that and he changed formation for about 15 minutes where it allowed them to get back into the game but uh, I think the second goal um, didn't flatter us I wasn't impressed with them either. I thought they were very very direct most of the time Yeah. but I thought uh, the, the, Benny in midfield I thought makes a massive difference to us because he seems to be at this knack Of being able to put his foot in when he's not favourite to win the ball and come away with it. And I think he steadies the ship a bit. Uh, The two wing-backs, I thought, were pretty good. If their crossing could improve, I think we would make more chances. We didn't make too many chances. We only made about three chances, I think. Um, So that has to improve. But other than that, delighted with a a 2-0 away performance. So, yeah, keep it going.
1: Mark, I think it was telling that Dundee United got pegged back basically in the first half. They ended up with pretty much 11 players behind the ball. So I I agree with Ian that Hearts didn't create many clear chances, but it was always going to be difficult to do so playing against a team so deep, especially a home team. And obviously they were always going to get at least a short spell of, um, Uh of pressure, which they did in the second half. But I thought it was what I actually enjoyed about the performance was how patient we were and how we kept getting into good areas, especially in that first half. I thought that was, I thought it was very different than the Aberdeen game in that way. I thought the Aberdeen game, we seemed to lack ideas as soon as we got to the middle, whereas we seemed to still be getting into some good, dangerous positions, I thought. Um, and I thought the midfield worked a lot better. I, I know Haring, he still looks like he's not as mobile as he was pre-injury, but I thought he had a really good game, albeit he probably should have scored two goals.
0: He should have done, but the one word I want to use is control. And it's been rare for Hearts in away games, especially in recent years, to have had control of a game. And you watch them, and you you're kind of looking from from your hands in front of your face, peeking through your finger, your fingers going, "Oh Jesus, when when are we going to concede, or what's going to happen?" I thought Craig Gordon's saves were routine for him; they would be very, very good for others, um, but. That's, that's what we expect. It's it's so it's so comforting to know that we have a last line of defence that we have no issues with whatsoever because it was a while since we had that. So it, it was nice. I mean, United, as Ian was saying, um, might not have been at their best, but they've had good results. I mean, they had that excellent result against Rangers. They won against St. Johnston. But I think it shows there's not too much between maybe teams from fourth or fifth all the way down to, to maybe eighth or ninth. Um, but what you have, with that is an opportunity for me for hearts if if we can kind of go on a bit of a run over the next year or two i think we we can hopefully re-establish ourselves as a team that can go there and expect to win or go to st johnston and, and expect to do well as opposed to oh should we take a point this week if we're offered beforehand or not happy with the three points it's all about the hips
3: game now also, it's important to say it's important to say this team should get better, right? I mean, I mean, it should, Wood, correct? Woodburn, Woodburn, um, clearly was short of game time, but showed good touches in the first half. He's going to get better. Devon's going to come in and play. That's why he's here. That should help the team. They're going to sign whoever it is. It looks like they're going to sign another forward-thinking player. So the so the team should should be you know it's an upward curve. It should improve.
4: Yep. Well, definitely light up front. Uh, if anything happens to boys, we, we we're going to struggle. So uh, interesting to see. Barry McKay's name getting bandied about. Now, given Joe Savage has a no-leaks policy, I just wonder if that's uh, a done deal.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's mentioned it himself, hasn't he? Joe Savage would suggest it. <laughs> exactly. That yeah. I was going to mention you and Ian highlighted a Um We've spoken about it on this podcast before. Joe Sked wrote an article about it. this. The reason I mentioned 29 years is the fact that it's apparently it's 29 years since Hearts have won a double figures of away league games in a season, 91-92. Hibs won 11 last season away from home, finished third. Aberdeen had six successive seasons under Dennett McInnes when they got double figures for away form. If you want to finish third, it's not to say Hearts you know, have done it in the past. Without those double figures of away games, they could well do it again. But getting that number of away wins is quite a big hurdle. Do you think Hearts this season could be the team that finally ends that wait for maybe... 10 away league games and potentially to help them to a best-of-the-rest finish?
3: No, they're a fifth of the way there already if you, if you work off that. I mean, the, the funny thing is, I think they've had a very good start to the season, but if you, if you flip the games, if, if they drew in Paisley and beat... I thought the Aberdeen performance was a bit sticky, but if they drew in Paisley and beat Aberdeen at home, everyone, everyone would be pretty chuffed. Instead, the win in Paisley kind of get forgotten about because they, they were a bit... You know, the Aberdeen games a bit iffy. It's funny how the psychology works. Um, I think the thing with the away form is for years and years it maybe wasn't portrayed as such an issue because their home form was—they they, they, tended to be very strong at home. And obviously, in recent times in the in the Premier League, I mean, the home form kind of fell off a cliff. So then the team ended up in serious trouble because they were so grim away from home. So, you know, first and foremost, you obviously want to, to win your home games and make Ten Castle a very difficult place to come to again. But if they can align that with, with good away form and the touch with the early suggestions are they can, you know, it's, it, it's not a cosmic point, is it? it's straightforward. They should go on and have a a very strong season. They, they have to get to the point where um, you mentioned Perth, for example, they go to Perth, they go to Motherwell, they go, they go to these grounds, um, Ross County, and, and kind of expect to win. We're a, we're a bigger team, we're a stronger team, we should win these games. Have to get back into that kind of um, state of mind, I think. I think they lost that for a while.
4: Yeah, I think I think the, the, that's a shocking start. that way. 29 years since double figures.
3: They finished second in 91-92, didn't they? They were second top
1: behind Rangers that season.
4: Have I got that right? Did you say 29 years since double-trigger away games?
1: Yeah, apparently since 91-92.
4: I I think that's collectively. That was a
1: 44-game campaign, that one.
4: Yeah, 44. They
1: finished second.
4: Down in the mindset of the managers, if you look at the two games against Celtic, the Cup Final and the League Cup, we never crossed the halfway line in the first half of these games because we're sitting in for a nil-nil or or potentially penalties. I'd like somebody to statistically look at our performances in Ibrox and Parkhead. How many times has that tactic actually worked? It'll be nil or 5% or something. But it's it's a definition of insanity to keep trying the same thing and hope that this is going to be different. Because the cup final, at half time, I nearly put my feet through the TV. It was shocking. <laughs> Never turned up, and it's forgotten about because of the, uh, the. Well, we nearly won it on penalties, but the first half's forgotten about, and i blocked that from my memory until I saw the first half in the League Cup tie.
3: It was identical. Without, uh, without being seen as an apologist, again, in their defence, that three man midfield of Haring, Halliday, and Benny. Well, I hope we never see it again, but, but the, the, there wasn't enough football in that team. And Janelli was obviously struggling with injury, and he had to come off the bench. Mackay Stephen, I think is an ankle issue he's been managing. But I, I think personnel dictated a bit of how they played that day, rather than that's what they they would ideally want to do. I would give them a slight pass in that regard. I, I don't think they had available personnel to play entirely differently. But the, but the first half, I agree, I mean, the first half was shocking, but... I, I think they were slightly nudged into playing that way because of who they had available or didn't have available. And I think that, again, as I say, I think that's changing now. I think they've got more options. I think they can play differently.
4: Oh, that's what we right.
1: Right, we'll move on. And before we go, uh, I should probably say Mark has disappeared because he's a b- big shot broadcaster. He's got the US Open to to cover. So he's just he's just left, basically. He's just buggered off doesn't even say bye, just disappears, so we can bitch all we want about Mark now because he's gone. He's covering tennis. That's what it is, tennis, yeah. Um, Anyway, before we go, I thought it would be good to look ahead to the top of the table clash, the title decider at Tynecastle in September when Hart and Midlothian play Hibernian in the big Edinburgh derby coming this Sunday. I'll start with you, Ewan. How are you feeling about this game?
3: it's too early for me to feel anything about it to be honest um, oh, it's next weekend that's no, that's that's just because you're
1: in Ohio or whatever it is uh,
3: I'll be back at thinkcastle Castle but then don't you worry um, it's a great position to be in isn't it home to Hibs chance to go clear at the top of the league um, you know despite what some people may say the fact there's a, a big away support of that game I think adds to the occasion of the game I think it'll be a, yeah. a good day in a football sense um, Hearts should be strong enough to win, I think. I've seen bits and bobs of Hibs, particularly their second game in Europe, but I thought they collapsed completely. I think their defence is uh, pretty vulnerable. Um, obviously, we know what the issues are. Nisbet can um, score a lot of goals. Uh, Boyle, when he's not falling around all over the place, can, can hurt teams and has done to Hearts at Tynecastle before. So, so they have an attacking threat. There's no doubt about that. But um, I think Hearts confident at home with players now who I think can hurt Hibs. Should be going in, Optimistic. I mean, there's, there's no never a reason to go into a derby in any other kind of mood. But and I'm slightly, you know, if you look at the fixes, I, th- I think Hibs have had an easier, softer start to the season than Hearts. So I'm slightly inc- unconvinced. In fact, I'm very unconvinced about how strong Hibs actually are, particularly in uh, in defence.
1: That's three three castle derbies without a win for Hearts, but we've enjoyed our trips to Easter Road recently. It's it's a bit of a strange one, that isn't it? Recent. Last two or three years, the Derby's... Although this is... Of the away although,
3: team. Yeah, but this feels like... Certainly for Hearts, this feels like a different movie, a different mm-hmm. regime, a different... It, it feels like things are different. I mean, the one I remember is the 2-0. The ball scored twice at Time Yeah, the, the New Year. You, yeah. yeah, and the Hearts... <coughs> half often, puff in the second half couldn't get anywhere, and that was a sore I when mean, things were kind of going wrong anyway. I, mm-hmm. I think we're in a different place now. I certainly hope so. Hib, Hibs could argue there... Things there are more steady, and more consistent, and more settled than I get that point. But I think Hearts are in a, a totally different position to to those previous games. Certainly hope so, but I think they are.
1: Ian, you know we've we've had we've had a wee joke that you're you're not always Robbie Nielsen's biggest fan, but you, you've given him quite a bit of credit for the Dundee United game. What what do you hope to see on Sunday? Are you are you optimistic? Do you, do you think this is a big game for Robbie Nielsen?
4: It's a big game for both managers because. Um... Jack Ross has got a reputation for uh, bottling big games, and this is another big game. Um, Going back to Ewan's point about the full Hibs end, I I agree. I'm delighted that there's going to be a full away support. Having said that, uh, Celtic and Rangers have lost games away from home when they've not had any fans in, so I would limit their support and fill that end if we can, with Hearts fans. But certainly, Hibs reciprocate at Easter Road, so I have no issue with them having a having a full uh, stand, and they're very confident, and that's exactly how I like the Wii team,
3: confident. Because I think I, think, I, th- I, think we, I think Hearts play Rangers at home in December, I think I think that's the, the next yeah. time that'll become an issue, the next time that'll become an first, issue, is quite far down the road. 21st so of that's, December, I think, yeah. That's the next time that becomes a point for discussion, and I hope it is, because that means Hearts are doing really well, and might sell... Yeah more exactly. tickets that's a different I mean, argument but I'm with you when we get in, we get the full stand east Easter road and I've got no problem with Hibs having a stand behind the goal and I think it adds to the occasion in the derby I think it's a sensible thing to do
4: going back to the football side Hibs play absolutely everything up the right no matter where they've got the ball on the pitch they look to hit Boyle running uh, uh, up that right wing into the box trying to fall over whatever get free kicks that's, <laughs> that, that's, that's his uh, 40 so I, I like the boy, Cochrane. I watched him against James Forrest. He stayed on his feet. Uh, he, he's one of the best crossers in the world going forward. But defensively, he doesn't dive in. He stays on his feet. So if we can eliminate the threat coming from the head's right, and I, I, I see Boyle got injured against uh, playing for Australia, so I don't know how serious that is. He's, he's, he's meant to be fine. Not.
1: It's meant to be fine. So,
4: I, I'm quite ha- happy that our, our left-hand side can, can deal with him. Uh, Nisbet, you, you've got to stop the supply to him. Not too much else to worry about in the for me. Uh, the defence, Doig, Porteous, Hanlon, uh, whoever, whoever's going to play, right back McGinn. I mean, I, I don't get it. They're rating Porteous and Doig for millions. I think they're the worst defender in the league. I watched the two goals they lost against Dundee and the boy Doig's a bystander when the goals are going in. So I'm quite happy with that defence. So at think I think we'll have too much for him.
3: It's interesting that, and I, don't, I genuinely don't like criticising young players anyway. I don't I don't think it's fair. But a Doig, it's interesting. I mean, he was left out of the team at someone's behest because he was about to be sold to a club in England. That, that, that didn't happen. Suddenly so he's back in the team. There didn't seem to be any significant move for him at all and he's still at Hibs so I mean that kind of disappeared pretty strangely and, and, and quickly um, the other point, sorry about the just endorsing the home versus away thing, I think Tynecastle Castle should be a different place on Sunday I mean everyone's kind of upbeat, everyone's happy I think previously um, it's been a bit of an anxious, nervous place because the team has been struggling there's no reason it should be like that for this game so I would hope the general atmosphere and general vibe helps Hearts whereas I, I think you know, in the not-so-distant past, it was a problem because people were a bit anxious and uptight about poor performances. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, and, that, and that, that that makes it difficult at castle When the fans are nervous, it transmits to the pitch.
3: I mean, so well, it, I it, it, happened it, for, it happened for so uh, long, Ian, didn't it?
4: Absolutely. absolutely. If we start three-four-three three and a couple of early attacking moves, the fans will be right behind them. Absolutely yeah. right behind them.
1: It, it's I just, it's one of those where it just amused me because I know Hearts have got a traditionally decent record at Easter Road, but it's where we tended to lose derbies if we did, whereas I think we've won our last three at Easter Road and we've not won in three at Tynecastle. It's just I know it's been a tough few years, so you're probably right that that nervousness has transmitted to the pitch and the fact that Hebbs have well, maybe where, been.
4: When was when, the last one at Tynecastle? Was it the
1: two 0 Two one, uh, Lafferty and Naismith, The end of season 2017 bit- twenty. That
3: was
4: a midweek game
1: wasn't it? A Tuesday or Wednesday night game.
3: Wednesday night game, So what you're saying
4: is, we've actually won our last at Tank castle and it was three years ago?
1: Three, three years, just over three years, yeah. Oh, but we've lost games in between there. we've we've, we've 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 lost 2-1, we lost 2-0 and then there was also a 0-0 in the mix as well.
4: But we've won the last two haven't we? Hamden and Easter Road.
1: Yeah, yeah, we've won the last. year. we've we've still got a better record against them since then, yeah. overall games because of the Hamden game and the fact that we've won all the games at Easter Road. But
2: Not, nothing to got... worry about. Okay,
1: <laughs> yeah, both predictions in two 0 hearts. Take that. Uh, I'll go for
3: three one. I think Hibs has going to go. I'll go for three one hearts again. It's too far. You're asking me questions too far removed from a game to seriously consider it. So it's it's like fly, just even a week. A little bit. It's the you next know, Hearts game. It's the very next game, Ewan. No, it's um by the time you get to that weekend I get very uptight and anxious about these things, but right now it's kind of somewhere in the distance.
1: I know, but there's not not that much is gonna change. Neither team plays before then. Well but I have to sleep at night, and eh? If you start
3: starting <laughs> obsessed over these things too early, then it becomes a problem.
1: <laughs> Good. You've, yeah, you've, filled, you've both filled me with a lot of confidence, which which I like.
4: I'm I'm filling you with confidence now. Ewan's not going to fill you fully confidence till a week on Sunday. <laughs> I shall be having a wager on Gary McKay-Steven to score at some time because he makes a goal against Hibs. He always he scores against him,
1: doesn't he? He does. Yep. He does. Excellent. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to the game already, even though Ewan won't be until probably half past 11 next Sunday. Uh, thank you both for joining. It's been a pleasure to to chat to you both. Enjoyed it. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah,
3: thanks for having me.
1: If you want to get in touch with us, you can tweet at Around the Funnel. Or you can email podcast at uk. We will be back before the hibs game as well, and we'll chat about it again, I'm sure. But um until then, thank you for tuning in. Come on, the hearts.
0: Hello, this is me.